day, a rich young ruler came enthusiastically, running up to Jesus and asked, what must I do to be saved? Jesus answered, keep the law. Oh, I've done that since I was a child, came the reply. Yet, one thing you do lack, says Jesus, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. Then, come and follow me. We are told that the young man walked away sorrowfully, for he had great wealth. Then Jesus concludes, it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The, the disciples had been watching the dynamics of this happening, and they were quite disturbed. Jewish tradition had always taught that God had especially blessed rich men, and that was why he was rich. In their way of thinking, if a wealthy man could not receive salvation, then how could a poor man have any hope at all? So they asked of Jesus, who then can be saved? It reminds me of that film, Fiddler on the Roof, the poor Jewish milkman who lives in early 1900 Russia, sings what he would do if I were a rich man. And of course his wife, we always need the wives to keep the men right, his wife reminds him, but money is a curse. So he immediately shouts up to heaven, then curse me, God, curse me. Jesus has just turned away a wealthy man. And in the Jewish way of thinking, that just doesn't make any sense. In fact, I'm not sure how many preachers would have the courage to do that, even today. But it was Simon Peter who drew the question even more clearly into focus for us. He asked what is probably on the minds of many of us. He simply laid his cards down on the table. He said, Lord, we have given up everything, riches and all, to follow you. What then shall we have? What's in it for us, Lord? How do we stand to profit? What's the payoff? In response to Peter's question, Jesus told a story. It was harvest time of the year, and at seven o'clock in the morning, a wealthy landowner went to the town square to hire laborers. Then, about noon, he came back into town and hired still others. Towards the end of the day, there was still a need for more men. Perhaps this was a harvest of grapes. 
that had to be brought in before the rains became, began. So at five o'clock in the evening, the landlord owner went back into town and hired even more labourers. At sunset, all the men lined up to be paid. When they got their envelopes, lo and behold, all of them had been paid the same amount. The men who had worked 11 hours had been paid the same as the men who had worked one hour. And of course, this enraged the all-day workers. It enrages us sometimes, does it not? We work hard. We've done without luxuries so that we can provide for our families and pay our taxes, only to find that just along the road there's some joker living the life of Larry without care in the world, except how to fill in his benefit forms. I gasped in astonishment when one of the government measures was announced a few years ago that no family was to be able to claim more than £500 a week in benefits. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one here who have never in their life received £500 a week as wages. And we think that's not just not fair, is it? Many things in this life just isn't fair. Simon Peter had asked Jesus a serious question, and in reply, he gets a story that on the surface sounds quite ludicrous. A landowner that pays equal wages for men who do not work equal hours. Of course, that's not the British way, is it? That runs counter to our whole idea of justice and fair play. Who would work all day if you could simply wait till the last hour and then collect a day's pay? The fact is that deep within us, I think we all have a kind of sympathy for the grumbling laborers. The story that Jesus told turns our whole idea of fairness upside down. Simon Peter must have been particularly offended by the story because it's obvious who he identifies with. He sees himself as a laborer who was chosen early in the morning and worked all day. He doesn't understand why these Johnny-come-latelys should have preferential treatment. Now, let's not get Simon Peter wrong. He is not opposed to favors being dispensed. He simply believes that if anyone should receive them, it should be the ones who worked in the fields all day. People just like himself. 
By telling this story, Jesus is telling Simon Peter that he will get no more reward from discipleship than anyone else. The person who comes late is just as important as the one who comes early. There's no such thing as ecclesiastical hierarchy. The moderator of the Church of Scotland needs forgiveness just as much as the newest member of the church in any parish church. There was a large, prosperous downtown church with three mission churches under its care when it started. On the first Sunday of the new year, all the members of the mission churches came to the city church for a combined communion service. In these mission churches, which were located in the slums of the city, were some outstanding cases of conversions. There were thieves and robbers and burglars and ever so many different people. But you know, they all knelt side by side at the communion rail. And one such occasion, the minister saw a former burglar kneeling beside the judge of the Supreme Court. The judge who had sent him to jail where he had served seven years. After his release, this burglar had been converted and became a Christian worker. After the service, the judge was walking home with the minister and said to him, did you notice who was kneeling beside me at the communion rail this morning? The minister replied that he had. Then the judge said, what a miracle of grace. The minister nodded in agreement, thinking that the judge was referring to the convict. Then the judge went on. It did not cost that burglar much to get converted when he came out of jail. He had nothing but a history of crime behind him. And when he saw Jesus as his saviour, he knew there was salvation and hope and joy for him. And he knew how much he needed that help. But look at me. I was taught from the earliest infancy to live as a gentleman, that my word was my bond that I was to say my prayers, go to church, take communion, and so on. I went through Oxford, I took my degrees, was called to the bar, and eventually I became a judge. Minister, nothing but the grace of God could have caused me to admit that I was a sinner on level with the burglar. It took 
much more grace to forgive me for all my pride and self-deception, to get me to admit that I was no better in the eyes of God than the convict that I had sent to prison. That's a rather thought-provoking story, is it not? But yet, that just doesn't seem fair. It goes against the business mentality that dominates our lives. We have always been taught, and I can remember very well my mother telling me this, you only get out of something directly in proportion to that which you put in. But that's not what happened in Jesus' story. In our way of thinking, the laborers who came to the fields late got something for nothing. This parable challenges us not to look upon the kingdom of God or the church as a business community. We live in a world where possession and seniority means so much, and it goes against our grain when we hear Jesus say, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Certainly, this was foreign to the Jewish mentality, for they were God's chosen people. They were the laborers who had been in the field and worked hard all day long. Of course, their real problem, and in turn our problem, is that we really do not comprehend the nature of God's unmerited grace. We sing songs like Amazing Grace, but the truth is, we usually are uncomfortable with last-minute deathbed conversions. We feel that these people have gotten the best of both worlds, and it just doesn't seem fair. But God's grace is not based upon what is fair, but rather what helps people. It wasn't fair that the laborers who worked only an hour received a full day's wage. But look who they were. All day they had been in a town square and no one had chosen them for employment. They were the rejects of society. You know, even as a child at school, I distinctly remember feeling uncomfortable when sides were chosen for teams because invariably there were a couple of kids who got left out. They were always the last ones to be selected, and you could see the hurt on their faces. The landowner asked of these laborers, why are you standing idle? Their response, because no one has hired us. They were the rejects, the bottom of the barrel. What the landlord the landowner paid these last workers who were in the field only one hour 
was not correct based upon the minimum hourly wage scale, but it was right because of the desperation in their condition. So God's grace isn't based upon fairness. It's based upon what is right and what helps people. The economics of the kingdom of God are quite unlike the economics of the world. And like Simon Peter, we bitterly complain about the unfairness of it all. We miss the point that if God had our tally book mentality and went strictly by what is fair, then salvation would be out of the grasp of everyone. The issue is not what is fair. The issue is, can we bring more into the fields to serve? Why is that? In the words of Jesus, because the harvest is great and the laborers are few, the issue is not what is fair, but what is good and helps to bring the kingdom of God closer to earth. May God add his blessing to these meditations of his holy word and to his name be praise and glory.